0: Welcome to Engage Boise. We hope that you enjoy this live recording of our Sunday service. Today, I'm so excited about the, this part of Genesis that we're studying. Uh, we've covered the past couple of months more than two decades of uh, ancient history, right? Uh, we've been talking about the really well known story of Joseph starting in Genesis chapter 37. Uh, and today, we're to the point of the story where everything changes. Last week, we talked about uh, several parts of this foundation that started the restoration of Joseph's family. And I believe that God spoke to some of you uh, at the end of last week's service about parts of your life that he might be rebuilding. Maybe it's a part of your life that has been torn down because bitterness or sin or pain, or maybe it's just a big change in your life that God is working on. I shared uh, my experience with you in some of that. But for all of us, there's different parts of our lives, different times where God is working at rebuilding. And I hope that as we talked last week and we prayed together at the end of service, that you begin to see the hope in your situation. There's always hope. Have you ever been in a spot, though, where you see, you start to see the light at the end of the tunnel and you've been grinding on something for a really long time? And if you're honest, even when you start to see the light at the end of the tunnel, you feel like there's no end in sight. Ever been in one of those deals before? Uh, I don't know about you, but moving like from house to house, one of my least favorite things in the entire world. If I never move again, that would be awesome. Even if it's like one house to the house next door, worst thing in the world. Since I was a kid, as long as I can remember, it's been something I didn't like. Uh, most of you probably remember, many of you, uh, if you're not too new, that we moved last August. We moved from Kuna to Boise. We live over on the bench now, about 10 minutes from here. Man, it's such a blessing. We're in Boise. We're right in the middle of everything, closer to the church, closer to lots of you. It's great. But because of it last year, I mean, the real estate market is still crazy, but uh, last year it was uh, also crazy, maybe more crazy, I'm not sure. But because the closing date of our house in Boise was unsure uh, and some stuff had to get done there, when the move would actually happen was unclear. So of course we wanted to be prepared. And we started in on my least favorite thing in the entire world, nice and early. So we got boxes and we started to put things in boxes. The only problem is that the moving date kept getting pushed back. So you can't like pack all your stuff and then continue to live in the house. Right? So we went like three, three and a half weeks with three quarters of our stuff in boxes. And the other quarter of it just kind of randomly strewn about. Because we were having to get the kids where they to go, do our jobs, all that good stuff. And Therefore, my least favorite thing in the world, it seemed like it was never going to end. Once we got everything into the new house, I, uh, every time we got our stuff in there, I thought, okay, this is going to be my last trip out to the old one. It's about 30 minutes, you know. This is going to be my last trip out. And then every night, there would be something else. Have to go out there and do another project, bring another thing, take another thing to the junkyard. We're getting everyone settled I, in Boise at the, uh, the new school and new sports and getting used to the drives and everything. And every night, I would be driving back from Keenah. I'm talking late, 11, 30, midnight. I'd be driving back from Kina thinking, maybe... Just maybe this is gonna be the last trip. But most of the time, something deep inside me knew something else was gonna come up. There was gonna be a thing a wasp's nest that needed to be knocked down or something, you know. It seemed destined to be never, ever ending. But one day we were finally done with it, and I can say, but finally we got moved. I don't remember how many days it was, way too many. (laughs) But finally, We got moved, a bunch of you helped us with it and we appreciate it, but uh, it was just uh, interesting the way it all ended up. But finally we got moved. This morning we're in this part of Genesis where Joseph, he's not saying, but finally, he is saying what our title is today, but God. His brothers had arrived back from Egypt. He'd received word that his father was alive, right? And what turns this whole story from a tragedy to a triumph is the fact that the brothers they meant to rid themselves of Joseph once and for all, 20 years before, but God had other planes. Can I tell you, friends, but God has other planes for your life. Even if it's been uh, rough, God has other planes. We're gonna pick, off or pick up where we left off last week and read out of Genesis chapter 44, and we see this kind of but God moment, not with Joseph, but with Judah. And there's a section here where Judah is essentially repeating the story that he has told the steward already. And we've read it a couple of times, so we're gonna read it anyway. The reason it is repeated here is so we have record of the interaction, but the reason we'll read it again is for anyone who missed the last week or two or is completely unfamiliar with the story. Um, so we're gonna read Genesis chapter 44, 18 through 33. Here first, I'm reading to you out of the NIV. Should be on the screen for you. Here we go. Verse 18 says this. Then Judah went up to him and said, Pardon your servant, my Lord. Let me speak, a word to my Lord, do not be angry with your servant, though. You're equal to Pharaoh himself. My Lord asked, asked his servants, do you have a father or a brother? And we answered, we have an aged father, and there is a young son born to him in his old age. His brother is dead, and he is the only one of his mother's sons left, and his father loves him. Then you said to your servants, bring him down to me so I can see him for myself. And we said to my Lord, the boy cannot leave his father. If he leaves him, his father will die. But you told your servants, unless your youngest brother comes down with you, you will not see my face again. When we went back to your servant, my father, we told him what my Lord had said. Then our father said, go back and buy a little more food. But we said, we cannot go down. Only if our youngest brother is with us will we go. We cannot see the man's face unless our youngest brother is with us. Your servant, my father, said to us, you know that my wife bore me two sons. One of them went away from me and I said, he has surely been torn to pieces and I have not seen him since. If you take this one from me too and harm comes to him, you will bring my gray head down to the grave in misery. So now if the boy is not with us, when I go back to your servant, my father, and if my father whose life is closely bound up with the little boy's life, sees that the boy isn't there, he will die. Your servants will bring the gray head of our father down to the grave in sorrow. Your servant guaranteed the boy's safety to my father. I said, if I do not bring him back to you, I will bear the blame before you, my father, all my life. Now then, please let your servant remain here as my Lord's slave in place of the boy and let the boy return with his brothers. How can I go back to my father if the boy is not with me? No, do not let me see the misery that would come on my father. A lot of back to story to that. Friends, it might seem like a person or relationship is beyond saving. But God makes a heart soft. God makes a hard heart soft. We've mentioned this idea quite a bit over the past several weeks. And that is that God can restore families. If your family is broken, your heart is broken, God can restore it. But I'm sure you, like me, you have people, whenever you hear someone like me say, hey, God can restore your family. Uh, God can, can mend relationships, make things good, bring kindness where there's been bitterness. You have people in the back of your mind that even if you want to believe it in your heart, uh, it's hard to see with any kind of logical mind how it's happening. You're saying, John, listen, that's a really nice thing to say, but you don't know so-and-so. Maybe you are so-and-so. Maybe you're the person. (laughs) You've heard the phrase, I'm sure, right? A leopard doesn't change his spots. Well, I believe this passage gives you and I hope that our family members can change, that we can change. Maybe for some of us here who may have regret for hurting someone years or decades ago, God wants you to know today that there is hope. We've talked already about how one of the most incredible things about Joseph is that he was able to have a soft heart through all the ups and downs. If you don't know the story, his brother sold him into slavery when he was 17. He was a slave, then he made it all the way to the top of a very prominent house. Uh, uh, The man's wife lied about him, he got sent to prison, and then he made it out of prison again, and now he's second in command of all of Egypt. And it would have been really easy for Joseph to have a hard heart while he was in captivity. Right, sometimes, this is a thing humans do and I have done it, sometimes we harden our heart and we've been hurt and then we use it to drive us. When someone hurts us, when something bad happens to us, we say things, maybe just inside, but we say them, we say something like, I will never allow a person to hurt me again. That person who did that, I'm never gonna allow them to do that again. If I get the chance, I'm gonna show them that they couldn't kill me. The problem is that when we think that way, we believe that way, all it does is keep us from healing and it often causes us to hurt other people in the process. It also would have been really easy for Joseph to have a hard heart once he was on top of the world because when we're comfortable, we tend to push anything painful that's happening in our lives to the background. And then our heart begins to harden and we don't even realize it's happening. I believe that because of Joseph's devotion to and reliance upon God, He has been able to avoid the hardening of His heart. We've seen it throughout the story. And the way that Judah speaks, it's the reason we read this. The way Judah speaks and what he says in these 15 verses, it's very significant for the story. Significant for us. Because these things he says, they illustrate a heart that once was hard, but it has become soft. Something of note I was sharing with the worship team earlier is that. Uh, this is the longest passage, longest discourse by a human in all of Genesis. Only passages longer are the ones where God himself is speaking. This is the longest human speech in all of Genesis. There's some important people in Genesis, but this is the most, uh, this is the longest speech. But besides being interesting, what that tells me is that Judah had been thinking this over for a while. As we noted last week, they did a lot of walking in the Old Testament. Traveling was not the same deal. You know, when you're walking uh, dozens or hundreds of miles at a time out in the hot desert, you probably run out of jokes and small talk pretty quick. The one behind you is like, knock, knock. No, not again. I've heard all the knock, knocks. You can't have a new one, right? It's been apparent in this story the last several weeks, though, that God has been moving in the heart of the brothers. And you know uh, how sometimes, I know this has happened to you, where you think long and hard about what you will say if you ever get the chance to have a conversation that you aren't sure you'll ever have? Sometimes those conversations, they occur by chance, but God is probably bringing them to pass and sometimes we have to go make them happen. I can tell you in the past couple of years, I've had uh, two uh, conversations like these. One came up perfectly right at the, at the exact moment, and I was so grateful to have it because I knew it needed to happen, but I didn't know how I was going to make it happen. And the other I knew needed to happen, so I got a hold of the person, sat down with them, and we said what we needed to say. Well, Judah, he's been walking back and forth with his brothers, reflecting on what he did 20 years ago, reflecting on all these crazy occurrences. Reflected on the circumstances that have brought him here. And now he has a chance to say what he's been rehearsing for who knows how long. And that's why it's the longest speech in Genesis by a human because it's been a long time coming. This thing's 20 years in the making. And as he speaks here in Genesis 44, Judah shows a softening of his heart by understanding one thing, God does not overlook an unrepented transgression. really interesting as we read through this if you've been with us as we've gone through it judah as he's telling joseph what's happening he's talking about benjamin but he could easily be talking about joseph the circumstances are all nearly the same the circumstances and the choices they've all repeated themselves once again they have the 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 choice to leave their half brother and take the money it would have been really easy for them to justify Right? Hey, listen, we can take the food, we can save the other 10 of us, we just have to leave the one. Once again, they could have left a brother at the cost of greatly hurting their father. But as Judah recounts this series of events that could just as easily be about Joseph, he realizes this, and that's true repentance is accompanied by action. If repentance has happened inside of us, there is an action that accompanies us. Something changes. Joseph's not dumb, both Judah and Joseph, they see that they could just as easily be talking about Joseph 20 years ago as they are Benjamin. But I love that we see as Judah speaks his heart here as he goes through this part we just read, he refuses to be a part of making the same mistake again. I don't know about you, but a natural response for us even when we're apologizing is to make sure when we apologize, we're real careful not to take responsibility for something someone else may have done i apologize for my part, but don't you dare blame me for something else. Notice in this passage, though, as we went through that, Judah does not mention any person by name when it comes to specific actions. Over and over, every time any action that any of the brothers took is mentioned, Judah simply says we. Over and over again, it's we, we, we. The NIV, the one we just read, he says we 12 times. NLT, if you have that, he says in nine, New King James is 11. We said, we went, we did. In our lives, when we're walking through hard situations, if our response to someone that we hurt is, I'm sorry I did that, but so-and-so did something just as bad. That's a sign that rather than a softening heart, what's really happening is a desire to move the consequences onto somebody else. And we've talked about before how Judah and his brothers saw that example in their father. And they've probably done it over and over again to each other in the last 20 years. And that leads us to one more thing that Judah shows us about a soft heart. And that's it's a heart that is softening takes personal responsibility. We've seen two other times in Genesis where Joseph, he's overcome by his emotion, but he's still not willing to reveal his identity. But this part that Judas says right here, it changes it for Joseph. I'm going to read it to you again, uh, verses 30 and 31. This time I'm reading it to you in NLT. I think we have it on the screen. Judas says this, and now, my Lord, I cannot go back to my father without the boy. A father's life is bound up in the boy's life. If he sees that the boy is not with us, our father will die we, your servants, will indeed be responsible for sending that grieving white-haired man to his grave. My Lord, I guaranteed to my father that I would take care of the boy. I told him, if I don't bring him back to you, I will bear the blame forever. So please, Lord, let me stay here as a slave instead of the boy and let the boy return with his brothers. For how can I return to my father if the boy is not with me? I couldn't bear to see the anguish this would cause my father. You probably noticed it in there, right? He only switches to I when it starts talking about who takes the consequences. When it comes to who is going to pay the piper, who is going to bear the consequence, he starts saying I and me. The reason this holds so much power to Joseph, so much power in the story, and I believe it's so meaningful to us sitting here today, is because of what Judah said several chapters ago, 20 years ago in the timeline, in Genesis 37, 26. This is not long after they had labeled Joseph the dreamer, but 20 years prior to this moment, listen to this, Genesis 37, 23 through 27. So when Joseph arrived, his brothers ripped off the beautiful robe he was wearing. Then they grabbed him and threw him into the cistern. Now the cistern was empty. There was no water in it. Then, just as they were sitting down to eat, they looked up and saw a caravan of camels in the distance coming toward them. It was a group of Ishmaelite traders taking a load of gum, bomb and aromatic resin from Gilead down to Egypt. Judah said to his brothers, what will we gain by killing our brother? We'd have to cover up the crime. Instead of hurting him, let's sell him to those Ishmaelite traders. 20 years earlier, they were glad to be rid of him for a little bit of silver. Would you see who the one that made the decision was? It was Judah. Judah was the one that made the decision that brought Joseph to this moment. And here Judah is before him, not knowing that he's Joseph, insisting that if anyone paid the price, that it was gonna have to be him. It was not gonna be the brothers who were complicit in the entire thing, the entire time. It wasn't gonna be Benjamin, who Jacob seemed to love more than the others, their father, And under no circumstances was Judah willing to allow it to be Jacob himself. Someone had to take responsibility for what had been done. And they had to end it. And Judah had decided that no matter what anyone else says or does, no matter whose fault it actually was, it was going to be him. You see, friends, us humans can do and say some awful things to each other, but a softening heart takes responsibility. If you're like me, you see yourself or your family in this, there has only been blame. Just know, God can make a hard heart soft. It's proof right here in this passage. No, we're reading a lot of scripture today, but let's read together this morning our final passage for today. Uh, Genesis 45, uh, one through 14. It's the part we've been waiting for. Joseph makes himself known, my Bible says. Then Joseph could no longer control himself and your brother Joseph, the one you sold into Egypt. And now do not be distressed and do not be angry with yourselves for selling me here because it was to save lives that God sent me ahead of you. For two years now, there has been famine in the land and for the next five years, there will be no plowing and reaping, but God sent me ahead of you to preserve you for a remnant on earth and to save your lives by a great deliverance. So then it was not you who sent me here, but God. He made me father to Pharaoh, Lord of his entire household and ruler of all Egypt. Now hurry back to my father and say to him, this is what your son Joseph says. God has made me Lord of all Egypt. Come down to me and don't delay. You shall live in the region of Goshen and be near me. You, your children, your grandchildren, your flocks and herds and all you have. I will provide for you there because five years of famine are still to come. Otherwise you and your household and all who belongs to you will become destitute. You can see for yourselves, and so can my brother Benjamin, that it is really I who am speaking to you. Tell my father about all the honor accorded me in Egypt, about everything you have seen. And bring my father down here quickly. And he threw his arms around his brother Benjamin and wept. And Benjamin embraced him, weeping, and he kissed all his brothers, wept over them. Afterwards, his brothers talked with him. That's probably the understatement of the year. Afterwards, his brother talked to him, right? After all that, 20 years later. It might seem like all hope is lost, but God makes all things work together for the good of those who serve him. All those who've been serving the Lord longer than I've been alive would say a hearty amen to that. That's because uh, that phrase might sound familiar to you, and that's because centuries later, Paul would write it down in Romans eight twenty eight. And we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. Might have been written much later, but I'd submit to you that it's never as true as it is right here in Genesis chapter 45. Joseph, once again, this is time number three, that he knows his emotions is going to overwhelm him. Verse two that we just read, it tells us he, he sent everyone from the room except his brothers. And remember that Joseph had been speaking to them through an interpreter to this point to keep his identity hidden. So imagine the shock of the 11 brothers when the interpreter leaves the room and they hear the Egyptian ruler switch to perfect Hebrew without missing a beat. And then we see the sign that true healing has begun to take place. Because you see when healing happens, when true healing happens, we begin to identify with those. We've heard. We see here in what we just read that Joseph is able to say what he's probably longed to say this entire time. He saw his brothers and he wanted to tell them who he was. <clears throat> Up till now though, when speaking of Jacob to his brothers, he has called him your father. But now Joseph has identified himself as one of them, right? He says, uh, in verse three, Joseph said to his brothers, I am Joseph is my father still living? It's the first time he's been able to say to the rest of his family, my father. And so shocked are the other 11 brothers, I probably would have been as well, that they never actually do answer the question in this passage. And just when all of them had to have been attempting to come up with some kind of plausible explanation, I was thinking about this, if it was my sons, if they were two of the brothers, John would have been trying to come up with something logical. Luke would have been like, it's a ghost. It has to be a ghost. (laughs) Just when they're trying to come up with some sort of explanation, Joseph says to them, please come close to me. And so they do because the Egyptian ruler is telling them they have to. And maybe they see a little gray hair, maybe they see some shoulders that are, are a little more stooped, some wrinkles around the eyes. But the smile on the eyes, they're somehow unmistakably their brother Joseph. And they left him to be a slave, but God had other ideas. And all of what Joseph expresses to his brothers here is defined in the fact that only God can make beauty out of such ashes. I see in what Joseph says to his brothers here and what we've read over the past couple months, a few lessons I believe Joseph teaches us as he navigates what seems like an impossible, an impossibly painful situation. One of those is that Joseph did not blame his brothers, but instead... He gave credit to God. Look what Joseph says here in verse five. uh, If you have your Bibles in front of you, and now do not be distressed and do not be angry with yourselves for selling me here because it was to save lives that God sent me ahead of you. Man, this is the type of trust I want to have in God. I wish I had it all the time. On my worst days, instead of blaming those who hurt me, I can glorify God. Man, it's pretty difficult to do. Joseph shows us how to do it here. We also see that forgiveness took the power out of the brother's hands. 20 years ago, the 10 brothers, they were easily over, uh, e- easily able to overpower uh, the one, Joseph, and throw him in the pit. He showed up. They said, here comes the dreamer. They said, we don't like what he's saying. And the 10 of them overpowered him, threw him in the pit. Joseph's natural response, probably yours, and my natural response without God's help is somehow I'm going to get out of this. I'm going to come back. You brought 10 against me. I'm going to come back with 100. I'm going to repay you for what you've done. Bring it. The only problem is that if Joseph had thought that way, the bitterness in him would, never would have gone away, even if he had accomplished what he would hoped to. He might have thrown them into the pit, but he would have been bitter the rest of his life. But his ability to forgive his brothers day by day, year by year, it placed all the authority in his hands when everything was said and done. Verse 7 and 8, but God sent me ahead of you to preserve for you a remnant on earth and to save your lives by a great deliverance. So then it was not you who sent me here, but God. He made me father to Pharaoh, lord of his entire household, and a ruler of all Egypt. But God. Perhaps most powerfully, uh, for some of us in this room, finally, we need to know that it is possible to acknowledge evil and also to trust God. It's a really hard thing to do in 2023. Acknowledge evil, but also trust God. But we don't see at any point as Joseph excusing the behavior of his brothers. He knows it was evil. He knows that they were selfish. But he also knows and he trusts God's plan more than he trusts the plan of anyone on earth. And throughout this part of Genesis that we've read, we see a moment, uh, we never do see a moment where uh, Joseph understands the entire plan. There's never an aha moment where you can snap your fingers and he knows. If there was one of those moments, if he had an aha moment sometime in there, I bet they would have written it down. (laughs) I bet they would have written down, this is the time when Joseph understood the plan. But what it seems like is at some point, uh, he began to see God's plan and God's hand a little bit more each day. I believe it's much more meaningful this way. I'm sure that Joseph didn't sense it right away, but he does show us that when we are hurt, even when we are deeply hurt, and if you don't remember anything I say today, remember this what we feel in the moment, it's not what we have to feel forever. the broken heart and the broken family and the broken life. It brings emotion and it brings pain, but God brings healing. and We don't have to feel it forever. We can give those feelings and broken hearts to God because he sent his son, Jesus. It's the reason we stand here today. It's the reason all of this happened. You should bow your heads and close your eyes this morning. We're almost done. You see, Jesus is the one, the son of God he's the one who comes to make all things new as it says in Revelation 21 and there's two final aspects of the passage just reflect on it for a moment he throws his arms around his brothers and then he says go tell dad go tell dad I'm alive the reconciliation that's been decades in the making uh, it's finally begun but God, friends, the brothers, they may have meant to send their brother somewhere. He'd never be found. As we read forward in Genesis, we're gonna see the enemy had a plan to keep God's people from being established, but God turns a hard heart soft. But God makes all things work together for the good of those who serve him. What we need to know as humans on earth in 2023 is, But God is a God of restoration. And this morning, friends, if you're here today, we've mentioned this a lot over the past several weeks, your family is splintered by half-truths, outright lies, broken relationships. You can take heart that the enemy might mean all of that for harm, and he might mean for that to never change, but God is good, and he restores. We're gonna pray together here in a moment, but just sense God speaking, uh, so I'm gonna just let Him do that for a moment. Friends, if you're here today, and uh, you hear us talking about this God. It's never made sense to you, but today it does. And when we're singing, you felt something you've never felt before. You need to know that was the presence of uh, the creator of the universe in this place. He sent his son, Jesus. That's what we celebrate at Christmas and Easter, to live a life with no sin, to die, to rise again and defeat sin on our behalf. Word of God says he makes all things new, and that includes us. And when we accept him into our lives and we just acknowledge him, the way we do that is by what we say a prayer. When we do that, mm, mm, he renews our heart, forgives our sin, gives us eternal life. Friends, if you're here today, our heads are bowed. Um, and you hear me talking about God and Jesus, and you it's all new to you. I'm not asking you to join a church or anything like that, but if you're here and you need uh, God to rescue you, we need Jesus in your heart. Uh, would you just raise your hand across this place so we can know to pray together? Hmm. 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 If you didn't see any of your hands today, but just know uh, it's something you can do at any time between you and the Lord, and God will make you new. Uh, more than that today, if you're here, and this is gonna be our final prayer today. Once again, our heads are bowed, our eyes are closed. If you're here this morning and you would just be honest and you would say, hey, there is restoration that needs to happen in my heart and in my family. Um, If it's gonna happen, it needs to be a but God moment. Would you just raise your hand across this place so we can know to pray for you. Thank you for your honesty. Thank you, thank you. Let's pray, Lord Jesus, thank you for your people here. I don't know what it is, but I I believe you're speaking in this moment. And uh, for every person that has come to this place and uh, they've sung these songs and they've they've heard this message, Lord, I pray uh, their heart would be soft towards you. Lord, for those that raise their hands and they're willing to admit there needs to be restoration in their family. Maybe they've done what they can do. Maybe they're afraid to do what they need to do. I pray that you would begin to work and move. Lord, I pray that you would begin to make hard hearts soft Lord, I pray that you would begin to move uh, circumstances and situations around that seem impossible. But like we just read, we know nothing is impossible with you. Lord, for those that are serving you and uh, their biggest prayer is wholeness in their family. I pray the truth of that scripture, all things work together for the good of those who love you. Lord, I pray you would begin to make that true in their hearts and in their lives. Lord, I pray you would bring about conversations that seem they would never happen. I pray you would give courage in hearts that have never had it to go make something right, to ask forgiveness, to take responsibility. Thank you, Lord, for your word that's true, alive and sharp as a two-edged sword. I pray for a church full of soft hearts that go out into their families, their community this week. Our hearts will be soft towards you, what you're saying and what you're speaking. God, thank you that you are good and you are a God of restoration pray this morning that your grace and your mercy would go with us we love you and we place our hope and our trust in you in your name amen 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 friends thanks for praying thanks for uh, your honesty for uh uh for listening to the word of god today we're so glad you were here don't forget we have church uh wednesday night 7 p.m we have something for all ages but that night it's the barbecue so come eat food don't even have to bring anything if you want to bring something you can sign up on your way out Uh, We're grateful you came to church today. If I have not met you, I'd love to say hi afterwards. Thanks for coming, and we shall see you soon. Thanks for joining us. If you'd like to learn more, you can visit us at engageboise.com. Have an amazing day.